I truly believe that that growth only comes through struggle. And I think that is an important thing to realize when starting a business. Uh, it's just part of the process. Uh, and it's, it's sort of funny that once you accept that it's difficult, it's not as difficult anymore. Welcome to the Reach New Heights podcast, where we dive deep into all things self-healing, transformation, and building dreams. I'm Julie Householder, and it is my passion to share powerful tools to empower you to transform your life and reach new heights. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Reach New Heights podcast. I am thrilled to introduce our honored guest this week, Philip Lingle. Philip is the founding officiant of Love and Wisdom, Inc., a team of open-minded wedding officiants based in Asheville, North Carolina, and also serving South Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. They specialize in upbeat custom wedding ceremonies for couples who expect only the best on their wedding day. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. I think what you're doing here is great, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Can you briefly share with our listeners a bit more about you and your story? Sure. Um, I guess I'll uh, kind of try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Since I'm 50 years old, there's a lot of decades to cover with my whole story. But I currently live in Asheville, North Carolina, and I've been here since 1998. Uh, Really love it here. I'm married to uh, my radiant wife, Jennifer, and we have a five-year-old son who is a, a real hoot, along with two dogs in our house. So there's no, never a lack of energy around our household. Keeps me young. My late father was a Lutheran minister, and we moved around a lot when I was a kid, from being born in South Carolina to uh, Pennsylvania, then to Raleigh, North Carolina. Then I went to college in Hickory, North Carolina. I moved to Seattle for a couple of years with a friend after graduation, just kind of for the adventure of that, and then landed in Asheville in 98, where I, I sort of started putting down roots. Ended up getting my master's degree here at the University of North Carolina at Asheville, and I taught philosophy at the community college here for 10 years after I graduated. During that time, I also worked in restaurants and construction. You know, as a teacher, you know, I was actually just an adjunct and I always needed something to, to supplement my income. So, you know, I was also a ghostwriter for BobVila.com. I did handyman work. I drove for a limo company for a little while. I renovated and flipped a house, uh, rented rooms in my own house. I had a brief stint as a real estate agent and a property manager. Uh, So, you know, this is just to say that my path to entrepreneurship was not a straight line. You know, it wasn't even really planned. Uh, I literally, you know, had dozens of jobs before I, I settled into my current situation, you know, with my own business full time and it's definitely, definitely been a journey, but just for anyone who doesn't know what a wedding officiant is, uh, it's, it's not a term that most people use every day. It's basically just the minister at the wedding who performs the ceremony and handles the legal part of the marriage. I don't use the term minister in my business because I'm not a traditional minister with a church and a congregation. So it's, it, I think it's kind of misleading for me to use that word. And the professional wedding officiant is kind of a a new thing that's emerged recently um, in response to kind of the changing nature of weddings. Weddings are bigger than they used to be. They're not just this little thing in a church. Uh, They all, a lot of times they even become like an event or a production. It feels like, Uh, and more and more people don't want to get married in a church or don't want any religious content in their wedding ceremony. And these are the couples that we typically serve. That's just so everyone kind of knows what this uh, career I stumbled into actually is. My first year in college, I took a philosophy course uh, and it really changed my life. You know, I never completely connected with the religious roots of my family as I was growing up. And um, philosophy really allowed me to explore my own thoughts and beliefs. And it provided an arena where I could really ask and answer questions that weren't really welcomed in church or in other parts of my life, really started to get a lot out of that on, in a personal, on a personal level. So although I did retain a lot of the basic values of Christianity, uh, I started to kind of distance myself from religion during that time and decided that I didn't really want to be labeled as a Christian anymore because I felt it was too limiting 
um, as I sort of came to believe that there were multiple paths and not just one true path when it comes to, to spirituality. So I kind of opened myself up to these different ways of thinking. And, and it really, that kind of, I feel like I really found myself during that time. Yeah. Losing my religion, so to speak, was, was one of the most profound experiences in my life, uh, as well as losing my father when I was 12. He died of brain cancer when he was just 35. And of course, my life, as well as you know, my mother and my two younger sisters' lives were, were impacted profoundly by his death. Um, the, the amazing thing is that we're all successful now, and we all have an appreciation for life that we may not have had if we hadn't experienced that loss. Uh, so I, I truly believe that, that growth only comes through struggle. And I think that is an important thing to realize when starting a business. Uh, it's just part of the process. Uh, and it's, it's sort of funny that once you accept that it's difficult, it's not as difficult anymore. That's a realization that I think is important to, to kind of start out any business with. So just real briefly, kind of how, you know, when, when I started the business in 2012, you know, I started it as Asheville Marriages, and then I ended up rebranding at the end of 2020 as Love and Wisdom, Inc., I wasn't able to go full time uh, until 2016. So it was about four years into it that um, I ended up quitting my teaching job. I was starting to get, to get burnout by that and realized I didn't really want to spend a lifelong career in academia. And that was a huge leap to take going full time. Um, you know, I'm totally self-taught in terms of business. I never took any, any courses or received any certifications. Uh, pretty much figured it all out as I've gone, but I'm really happy with where I'm at with it. It's amazing to kind of look back at how it's kind of organically grown into to this point. Thank you so much for sharing so many aspects of your story. And I really love how you placed emphasis on this concept of linear growth. And most people we get, we know we set mm -hmm. out in school and everything, we know what's next. Many of right. us have that, that conception that like, oh, growth is linear. It's going to be, but really that's not what life is. And I find exactly. that when I release that notion myself, I had a lot more peace with the journey because it's not in a straight line. And I love how you shared all of these different jobs that you did, because that's, that's real life. And so many of us do that mm -hmm. as we pursue our dreams. And you, you spoke about how you had everything kind of part-time until you went full-time. And when you first started that process, what was that like for you? Um, what were some of the, the fears and doubts that you had come up that you kind of navigated when you first started your business? Well, I think there are the normal fears that everybody has, fear of rejection and fear of failure. When you're starting something new, you might feel that you might get what they call imposter syndrome, where you know, you're putting yourself out there as kind of this expert but you don't have enough experience to feel like an expert yet, but you have to start somewhere and you have to kind of get through those, those types of fears. And, you know, you, you wonder, well, what if people don't like what I'm offering? What if people don't like me? You know, those are all normal things. I think everybody, everybody has those fears. So it's, it's a matter of kind of overcoming those. It's not whether you have them or not, it's how are you going to work through those fears? For me, you know, one of the ways I worked through it was, just to do a little bit at a time, start small, look at it as incremental growth, where you just want to grow your business by 1% all the time, instead of taking these huge sweeping uh, moves, you know, and there are times where you have to take bigger leaps. But if you can continue to kind of make money doing your normal job or your the job that you've had and transition into something without kind of going all in, then that can relieve some of the fear. You know, if you have everything at stake, then that's a lot scarier than saying, well, I'm going to try this thing out and start to see what happens and see if I gain any traction. And if it doesn't, well, I've still got an income from these other sources. For me, there was a lot of that just kind of feeling it out and not going into debt. You know, <laughs> that was a big thing. Uh, that can create a lot of fear too, when you've borrowed a bunch of money and you have the pressure of, oh, now I've really got to produce and pay it off. And, and that that's just part of my personal beliefs too, not to go into debt for business, but I guess for some businesses that might not be possible, but I think those were the main fears that, 
that I uh, had to overcome. I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh, I wish I had had this conversation when I first started my business at 22, because <laughs> I definitely, I jumped all in. And I think I was really taking everything from like the personal development industry way too seriously in the sense that I was like, all right, I'm just going to go all in. And in retrospect, a lot of those mistakes I made was because I wasn't doing that slow incremental building of my business. So just like listening to you, this is like just such great advice because many of us will just have this idea of like, oh, we just need to make that big leap right? Um, rather than allowing us to go slowly, which also increases our bandwidth to handle stress. And if our nervous systems are mm-hmm. so freaked out, that's also going to potentially impact our mental health and also like get burned out much quicker. Cause I definitely got super burned out. Um, and I had to go through a lot of that, like self-criticism after just like those mm-hmm. mistakes that I made. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, and how did your previous career shape your mindset in this approach to building a business? You had mentioned that you hadn't really taken an official business class and a lot of this mm-hmm. you learned along the way. So how did, how did that previous career and your studies in philosophy kind of shape that approach and help guide you? Well, a teaching definitely helped me get really comfortable speaking in front of people and, and communicating effectively. You know, I got a lot of practice doing that. To be honest, like I waited tables for years too. And that helped me come out of my shell too, just in terms of like talking to the public and everything. You know, I, I've never been an extrovert, you know, doing that for years and years, you just start getting comfortable talking to strangers. And it wasn't just the, I, I guess every experience I've had is kind of you know, helped me gain confidence with teaching. I I also had to figure out how to build online courses back when they were just kind of starting to become a thing. And there wasn't a lot of structure at that time. It was a lot of trial by fire. And so that experience too kind of helped, helped me gain confidence in terms of overcoming obstacles and in the cyber realm and, and understanding that I could just figure things out if I was determined enough to do it. And it just helped me to identify where my strengths lie and some, maybe some areas that I should work on. So in a way, I think we can take any of our past experiences and use them to, to help us in, in whatever the next step is, you know, every experience we've had is a stepping stone to the next one. And I think for anyone who, cause again, like with a wedding officiant, you can have weddings that are super massive. And one of the biggest fears mm-hmm. that people have is public speaking. And when we look at kind of our fears and you mentioned being an introvert and there's kind of this idea that if you're introverted, you know, you can't do X, Y, and Z. I think it's a paradigm that keep a lot of us introverts from stepping into those more extroverted uh, roles. Mm -hmm. And I like how you mentioned that waiting tables really helped you. So recognizing that we can use other jobs as well as different hobbies or like different activities to kind of help us build those skills to be able to transfer them into the professional realm whether you're a business owner that has to start practicing, you know, talking to new people to build your business, or whether you are an employee where you have to do a presentation to a group of people or, you know, speaking with people in the office or having meetings with people you don't know. So I think that's a really great addition to anyone who might be kind of struggling with connecting with, with others um, and feeling mm-hmm. kind of uncomfortable with that process. Or, or feeling like you don't have the proper training or certification. Sometimes that's that's overrated. It's you know it's real world experience. You know can can be very valuable even if you can't really quantify it with a, a certificate or a degree or something. I think a lot of people have that those fears too. Oh, I'm not qualified. I don't have the right credentials. And you know honestly, nobody ask, you know, I mean, how often have you like asked your doctor what, what school they went to or, you know, those types of things, you know, it's really, you know, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, you know, when you produce something that's, that helps people and you're doing good work, then that, that speaks for itself. I think our society places way too much emphasis on the facade that we present to other people through this idea of certifications or Mm -hmm. through all of these different concepts. And I think a lot of people in my family who are entrepreneurs, we always talk about how like many of us haven't had that traditional route. And even when I started my business, like I still hadn't finished school yet and I'm still in the process. So it's just like, I've had this very interesting journey myself. And that was something I had to overcome internally because it's, it's very vulnerable and nerve wracking when there's so much pressure put on 
these different like stamps that we can check this box, like, oh, mm-hmm. degree certification, like all of mm-hmm. those things. And for a lot of us, it, it's much different. Like I found that actually being in the world and brought me more value than reading textbooks in school. Reading a book is much different than actually doing something. And mm-hmm. I think more emphasis needs to be placed on that because many people will graduate school and then they realize that the real world isn't the textbook. Right. Right. And, you know, if you want to learn to ride a bike, you don't read a book about it. Right. There, it's, there are certain things that that you have to do in order to learn how to do it. And of course, there's valuable things you can learn from books, but you can't just use books alone. Like you got to get in there and trial and error. And it's usually, you know, two steps forward and one step back the whole time. Hopefully it's that. And it's not, you know, one step forward and two steps back, but you know, it's, it's a lot of making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And that's not something you can always, you know, learn, learn from a book or with a degree. Yeah. And, and definitely not to negate the importance of, of education and books. I think sometimes definitely yeah. when we're building dreams, books and information can become the safety net and be, it, it's a, it's a way to protect ourselves from actually acting out and doing the thing. Cause we can be like, Oh, yeah. I need to collect more information. I need to read more. I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And the right. knowing, like you were saying, the knowing often comes from doing right. And we can, we can know about something, but actually not know it because if you actually did it, that, that brings that learning. So we can learn it's a, there's a difference between knowing about something and actually knowing something through experience. Yeah. Right? Like exactly. how you mentioned that balance between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, these days in the information age, you can, you can learn any information you want. You know, there's the, the, the problem used to be that information was, was scarce and only experts had certain types of information and you had to go to them to kind of get that. But now the problem is that there's too much information. It's overwhelming. And the challenge is sorting through the good information and the bad information and trying to figure out what's, what's the good stuff and what's just, you know, crap. And so that's a skill right there that we've had to develop, you know, as the information age has progressed, getting the information is one thing, and then actually applying it in the real world, understanding the information, you might understand it differently after you've actually done the thing, um, as opposed to just going in blind to something. So, and I think that's, that's one of the mistakes people make when they're trying to start out is just that the fear of starting, you know, I would just encourage people just take the first step and, and take it slow. Like, again, you don't have to jump in with both feet. You can just do something, take one step today, take the next step tomorrow. And it can be something as small as just like, I'm going to get a URL for my website. That's the step I'm taking today. (laughs) And then tomorrow you do, you take one little step. If you just are consistent, then it's not as it's, you see progress, but it's not as overwhelming as what we have built up in our mind. And what do you think are some of the biggest challenges you've overcome as a business owner that you're really proud of yourself for? Well, I think that learning when to take the bigger leaps at the appropriate time has been something that I'm, I'm proud of myself for kind of uh, facing those challenges and learning how to manage the risk when it comes to, to doing that. You know, building a business does require that you take some scary leaps at certain points, but you have to be calculated and make sure not to do it too soon or wait too long. You know, I never... And, and again, I think that's one of the things you can't always learn in a book. You know, you, you have to kind of experience those things. You kind of have to fall on your face maybe a couple of times. You know, I, I guess when I first started out, just like some of the leaps that I had to take was like when I chose to like actually spend money on advertising. And that doesn't seem like a big leap. But at the time, you know, I wasn't bringing in a lot of money, um, but I was ready for my business to grow. So when I said, okay, I'm going to spend, you know, 300 bucks a month advertising, well, that means I got to be bringing in more money. You know, it's a commitment to like, I'm going to be bringing in more money if I'm going to be spending this money. Um, And once I did that, my, my business really did gain traction. So I realized that taking, you know, what 
seemed like a scary leap at that moment just really did pay off. And then I, when I started hiring other efficients to help me, you know, at some point I realized that, you know, I can only be at one place at one time, but, you know, I get these inquiries for weddings and, you know, I'm already booked and then I'll get three inquiries for that same date and I have to turn them all down. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll you know, hire someone else to take those dates. And so I hired a good friend of mine from college that was interested in doing it. And he was the first one, but then kind of relinquishing the control, you know, to someone else. Cause you know, at that time I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm the guy that knows how to do this, you know, and trusting somebody else to do it and, you know, training them, but then realizing they're still going to do it their own way. You know, that, that took some, some kind of, you know, getting over that, um, that leap. And then hiring an assistant, I did, had to do that once I reached a certain point where I was, you know, staying up till 11 o'clock every night, answering emails and just doing all the tedious administrative stuff that, you know, it can be really time consuming, you know, hiring somebody to do all that was a huge relief. But, you know, when I first did, it, I'm like, well, I've got to pay somebody to do this, <laughs> you know? And um, so that means I, you know, now I've got to, I got to start, you know, bringing in more revenue to, to handle this person, you know, this person's paycheck. Um, and that turned out to be great, you know, going full time also, you know, when I, I guess that was 2016 that I made the decision to quit my teaching job, quit all the other little side hustles and just focus hundred percent on this. Um, and that was a huge leap too, but that was, you know, four or five years after I had started the business. And then when I rebranded the business, um, you know, paid somebody to do a new website and kind of, you know, almost felt like I was starting from scratch in a way because I built this reputation and now I'm changing the name of my business. But I knew in the long term, that's what I needed to do. Um, at the time, that was a scary leap and a scary challenge. A lot of business owners have uh, a challenge with just like raising their prices when they need to. <laughs> feeling like I'm going to raise my prices and then I'm going to lose all my business from the outside might not seem like scary things, but when, it, when you're so invested in this thing, a lot of these decisions can be really, really challenging to come to terms with and knowing when and when not to take those leaps is uh, I think something that I've, I've learned to trust my instincts about now. And for anyone who kind of struggles with that balance, who struggles with making those kinds of decisions. You mentioned over time, you kind of developed a, a stronger instinct for that. Was that just through that trial and error process where you were able to really build that strength in that, to build that kind of intuitive instinctual pull to make those choices? Yeah, absolutely. Just doing it enough times, going through enough experiences where I may have not listen to my gut, but trusted what some other expert said or a friend or somebody else's perspective where they're like, oh, well, you got to do it this way. And I would say, okay, you know, and I would follow it and then realize later that I should have trusted my gut and did it the way I wanted to do it. Or, and so, you know, and I learned through that, that, you know, it's good to seek advice and guidance, but you have to understand that everyone has a limited scope. Nobody sees everything. We're all looking through lenses and they might be missing a piece that you're seeing. You know, they, everybody has, a, has blind spots that they're not aware of. You know, people might have good intentions, but ultimately I'm the one that knows this business better than anyone. I can take in, I can take in that advice and guidance and the different perspectives, but but ultimately, I kind of have to listen to my gut. And that's something that did take just a lot of trial and error to come to terms with. I think that also brings up some of the fears that people have of opinions of others. Because then if you're, say you have a mentor or somebody and they're telling you, and it's if someone is like, oh, well, I think you should do this. And then you don't do that. Again, it's following what feels right to you, following what does make your gut say, yes, this is okay. Um, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And again, it, it kind of like triggers that those old feelings that you have initially as being an entrepreneur where you're like, ah, oh, how are they going to think of this? Is this the right mm -hmm. idea? And kind of all those thoughts that come up again. 
Yeah, exactly. So there's these other layers of just like not wanting to disappoint other people and that, that can get in the way of, of making progress sometimes. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a huge fear that I, that I have. I I don't want to disappoint people, (laughs) you know, in my personal life or business life. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes tough to balance that concern with knowing that you need to go a certain route or do a certain, do a certain thing. I think it's great that you're so connected with your intuition and and all of the knowledge that you've had from all of these years. And it shows in your business, in the team that you lead. And I wholeheartedly believe that the success of every business really depends on the leader itself. The, The owner, the leader, the boss really cultivates that culture, that environment, Uh, So that officiants, again, like as they step into their own process, because if you've never done efficient work, you know, they want to honor you and honor your business and represent you well and step in front of a crowd and and lead uh, a a wedding in front of a lot of people staring at them. And so as this, this founder, you're leading this incredible team of humans. And can you talk a little bit about leadership, what it means to you? Uh, what qualities can we embody to become leaders in our lives? Even someone that's listening right now that doesn't want to be an entrepreneur, doesn't want to start a business, uh, but they, you know, we all have to face that aspect of leadership. So whether it's our business, mm-hmm. relationships, career, school. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that that leading by example is is really important to me. Um, I like to think of leadership as having influence over people rather than having authority over people. I don't like to be called a boss or a supervisor. <laughs> I feel like I work in a factory. If, if somebody's like, let me check with my boss or my supervisor. I just cringe when people say that, because I guess that's not how I want to think of myself. You know, I want to think of myself as uh, someone who directs the business or leads the business. And like I said, influences people not just tells them what to do. And certainly some of the qualities that we have to embody or aspire to at least as leaders are integrity, you know, just sticking to principles and not making false promises or taking shortcuts, active listening, you know, allowing people to be heard and really letting them know that you're hearing them, even if you're not going to agree with them, explaining why and not just saying, because I said so. You have self-confidence, you know, it's hard to be a leader if you're not, if you're not confident in yourself. That's something that, you know, of course you can't learn from a book either, right? Good communication, you know, uh, we kind of touched on that. Um, delegation, knowing when to take something off your plate and, and have someone else handle it. I think that's a tough one for a lot of people because of the control part. You know, when we have a business, we want to control as much of it as we can to relinquish that control and say, okay, you're in charge of these tasks now. It's not an easy, easy thing to do. And of course, just like decision-making and problem solving. I mean, as a leader, those are two of your biggest things you're tasked with. Problem solving is one of the main things that having a business involves. You're constantly problem solving. The next problem, you solve a problem, the next one's going to come up tomorrow and you got to figure out how to solve that one. If you, again, if you accept that um, the problems are never ending, then they're easier to solve because you're not then annoyed every single time one pops up. It's just, all right, what's the next problem? And, and how are we going to solve it? And that's just a matter of fact. It's not that you are somehow unfairly persecuted, you know, by these problems. It's just, it's just part of life and part of, of, of business. So I think those would be the main kind of uh, characteristics of, of leaders that I think are important. And with that process of problem solving, would you say that's also helped you build confidence? Because I know a lot of people kind of struggle with that self-confidence in the business realm. Absolutely. Being able to solve problems definitely is a confidence builder. But like we were mentioning before, all the previous stepping stones in your life help build that too. So even if you are, you know, a trash collector right now, you have to do that the best that you can and represent yourself sort of in in whatever you do so that every step of the way, your confidence builds a little bit more. 
and just putting your maximum effort into being the best you can, even if it's, you feel like what you're doing is not your calling, you know, that's one of the things that can help build self-confidence. And that definitely goes into alignment with your business values of integrity and leadership as we embody those values of ourselves and recognize that every moment that it's a, it's an opportunity for us to step into our true selves, even in circumstances that might not be ideal. Or like you were saying, if you're in a profession or working a job or have different side hustles that are leading you to your next chapter and kind of allowing those to be opportunities for personal growth and building that self-confidence. It all is cumulative. Um, even if you're like, well, this isn't what I do. It is what you're doing right now. Um, do it well. And that will benefit you and other people now and in the future. Sometimes it's hard to, to have that long view when, um, when you're kind of still trying to get to where you want to be, so to speak. And that life is much slower sometimes as we're building mm -hmm. things. I think now with all of our information overload that you were mentioning before, we have this desire for instant gratification, instant growth, uh, instant mm -hmm. results, and kind of undoing those paradigms and undoing those expectations that we've now absorbed from our society. And we yeah. can see this definitely with the younger generations too, uh, struggling with that again, like focusing on the long game and having patience and developing. Yeah. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point because especially now, you know, we're trained to have short attention spans and we're trained to, to want things instantly. I mean, just ordering something on Amazon and it takes three days and we're just pissed off, you know, because they said it was going to take two. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's just how we've been trained. So it's tough to go against all of that and kind of settle into the reality that you do have to have patience and persistence and um, invest in things in order to get the rewards, you know, later on. And, you know, I have a five-year-old, so I know all about instant gratification and, and not understanding the, uh, you know, that practicing the piano now will help you to enjoy it more later and be able to play the songs you want to play. But, you know, he wants to play the songs, you know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work that way. You gotta, you gotta work for it. And, um, that's just part of being five, you know, but we're also being trained by our, our culture to, to feel that way as well. And that's, that's a huge challenge. For many people. And as being a father to a five-year-old and also to two pet children, how yeah. has that been? Like, has that influenced also like parts of your business life and, and how do you kind of balance and navigate all of that with your Yeah. I mean, it's definitely helped shape the shape my business in a certain way. I mean, I have to balance all that. And it's important to me that I do spend time with my son and my family. Um, and I have the luxury of having a fairly flexible schedule so that I can do that. Um, but it's, it's, it's helped me to kind of slow down and not feel like I have to do everything at once. Um, because, you know, the time I have right now with my son, I'll never get that back. You know, he'll never be five again. And that's, that's um, part of why I, I do what I do. And it's just a part of my overall definition of success is to be able to have time with my family. You know, we all want success, but we, we all measure it differently. And for me, it is having that balance. Um, it's not necessarily growing the biggest business that I can possibly grow and expand as much as possible and make as much money as possible. It's having the balance to where I can enjoy the other things in life that you, you can't buy. Having a kid definitely puts things in a different perspective and being, being a father is kind of, is being a leader also. And so, you know, leading by example, those kind of things, it all kind of translates over into business in a way. I think to be an effective parent and business owner, you kind of have to be calm and assertive. Can't get your feathers ruffled too much 
because then people won't uh, feel confident in following you. <laughs> um, but you, you have to be assertive at the same time, you know, so that that calm, assertive combination. I think I learned that from Caesar Milan, the dog, the dog guy <laughs> that translates into a lot of areas of life. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely had a, a big impact on how, how I run my business as well. And do you have any tips for anyone listening right now who wants to start a business or recently started one and they're struggling with the pressures of being a business owner? They might be feeling a little overwhelmed by everything. What are your tips for those individuals? Yeah, we've kind of touched on some of those. I mean, for me, it's, it is really important not to go into debt and it's so, it's so easy to get a loan, a business loan. If you don't have a clear plan for that and you're just kind of throwing money at stuff, then you can really get into a lot of trouble really quick. You know, you want to be fully committed to what you're doing, but you don't want to risk everything. And, you know, I know a lot of people will disagree with me on this one, but, but um, I feel like if you can just, if you can just build slowly the constant incremental progress and learn as you go, then, then that's, what's going to help you build confidence. You know, the, the other thing I guess we touched on is, you know, you're never hundred percent ready to start. You know, if you're having doubt about just taking that first step, just realize you're never going to be hundred percent ready. You know, you could take another, another e-course or something like that, but you just have to, to start small and, and learn, you know, when to take the bigger steps, but you got to hop on the bike and feel it in order to, to learn where that, that balance point is. So just do it despite the fact that you're not ready to do it. And, um, and you, you, you learn as you go, you got to accept that you're a, you're a problem solver. That's the mindset that you have to, to take and that, you know, owning a business and just life in general is just an endless series of problems to solve. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. It, it's only bad if you resist that, mm -hmm. that brute fact, um, mistakes are, are all part of the process. So you can't beat yourself up and you can't quit because you're making mistakes. You have to learn from them and adjust. And it's easier said than done, but it's definitely, you're not going to, you're not going to make it if you don't accept those, those things. I would say, make sure that you know, the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a freelancer. A lot of people will build what they think they're, they're building a business, but they're really just building a job for themselves. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being a freelancer, but if you're going to be an entrepreneur, then you're building something that can kind of eventually you could step back from, and it could run on your own. And so you're building the systems and you're figuring out um, something more than just, I got a job cleaning houses and now I have to go show up and do it. You know, being a house cleaner is a good, could be a good job, but it might not be a good business. You can turn it into a good business, but I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they're building a business where they've really, they've just, they've just created a job for themselves. And like I said, it's, nothing wrong with that. It's just, you have to, if, if you don't know the difference, then you can get into it and then realize that's not what you wanted. That's not what you wanted to sign up for. You wanted to have more freedom and now you're just booked solid and doing all this, this work. So it's, I think a common pitfall that, that some people fall into when they start out. We talked about just, you know, seek advice, advice and guidance, but understand that everyone has a limited scope and take all that stuff as a as a grain of salt and incorporate information into making your own decisions, but don't take anyone's perspective as some kind of ultimate guide. And the last thing, and this might even be the most important one is just be really clear about the change that you seek to make and the people that you seek to serve. If you're not really clear on why you're doing what you're doing, I mean, making money is obvious. Everybody wants and needs to do that. But if you don't have some kind of other purpose, um, you know, most people are trying to make some seek to, seeking to make some kind of change or improve something. And, you know, it doesn't have to be anything huge, 
you're just trying to, you know, improve the lives of somebody or solve somebody's problem. So what is it that you seek to, to change and who are the people that you want to serve? You don't need to serve everybody. I think that's something when I first started that I made the mistake of thinking, oh, I just, I want to be able to help anybody. But then when I realized I have sort of these ideal clients that really are going to, they're going to appreciate what I'm doing and benefit from it. And, and I'm going to get more out of that connection as well. Then uh, that certainly helped me to get more focused and understand how to narrow down my my scope and my options and, and get just super clear on everything. I think many people struggle with the concept of purpose. And if you follow any of that, like mainstream personal development, they're like, everyone needs to have a purpose. And it's this like grand thing. Yeah. You don't have this grand thing. Cause I've talked to a lot of my peers, um, struggling with that concept and being like, well, I don't feel like I have a purpose and feeling like very upset or disappointed about that that can also be a kind of a wall that comes up inside of us when we're trying to start a business or even like starting a new project, or if someone wants to start a hobby, uh, it's like, what's the purpose of this? How is this even helping my purpose in life? How is this even contributing to my life? What are your thoughts on that? It's, it's a very um, abstract thing, right? I don't think that it has to be these grand, this, this grand thing, you know, world peace or something like that. Um, it can be just as simple as wanting to, you know, make a difference in, in, in some smaller realm and feel like you're contributing in some way to the net positive gain in, in the society or the world. You know, it, it's, it's not something that, um, again, that I think you can pinpoint for other people. It's, it's part of that journey that everybody goes through, um, struggling with it's good because it means that you're, you're trying to work through it and, uh, it's intertwined with so many different parts of life and questions about life. I wish I could just have a simple answer that, that helped people, but that's probably as, as vague as you would expect of an answer. (laughs) Many people get frustrated by having so many questions. And I feel like when I first started like reading about world religions and philosophy, I also was frustrated because I was like, I don't have the answers to the questions, but then it's actually asking the questions, which is the journey. Mm, And the most exciting part is having those questions and evaluating them. And if you're thinking about purpose and thinking about how you want to make a difference or frustrated with not knowing, again, like you were saying, the fact that you're asking those questions really shows that, you know, you're working towards growth and, and looking towards growth. And I think what you were saying before about resistance, that's a major pain point for all of us. Cause sometimes it's the resistance itself that hurts us more than the situation or the mm. problem that we're having. Cause if we're resisting the problem, then it just makes the problem seem more daunting. It seems like this exactly. huge mountain that we have to climb, whereas it might've been, you know, a mohill or just like mm-hmm. a, a little stone that we have to step over. And I like to think about this random example, but I used to be a dancer and whenever you're working on flexibility, you have to go slowly. If you try to just like drop down into a split, like you'll pull a hamstring right? Um, with, with everything. So with building businesses, I, I think about those kind of like dance examples of going slowly and, and listening and following what feels good to you. Um, but also at the mm-hmm. same time, finding that balance between that listening, what feels good, going slow in a way that your nervous system feels safe. But also again, like you were saying, knowing when to make that jump and knowing also that much of this, if you're used to being an employee or anything that you want to build in your life is already by definition going to be different than the life that you have already. I would want to add to, you know, as far as discovering purpose, I think discovering purpose might be the wrong way to, to frame it. Um, cause if you, if you're look, if you feel like that you, you have this kind of inherent purpose and you just need to figure out what it is and you're looking everywhere for it and you're trying to discover it, then if you switch that and, and think about creating your purpose, it's something that you have control over and you're inventing your, your 
purpose or creating it, not necessarily discovering something that's already there. Um, and sometimes a simple mindset shift can make all the difference. And that, that may or may not be one of them, but I think with the, like the meaning of life in general, uh, some people make that mistake. It's like you, you create the meaning, uh, you don't necessarily discover it. And that's kind of an existentialist, you know, view that I have, but, um, it, it makes a difference in terms of just shifting that perspective around and can free people sometimes from struggling with it in that certain other way. And becoming kind of the artist of reality, because many of us don't realize that our ideas and concepts of the world came from other people. And it could be our mm -hmm. parents, our teachers, you know, our friends, whatever it is, or the media uh, that you can set, like you were saying that you have your own definition of what success means to you and knowing that each of us can set that and many of us will set those definitions. So it's an alignment of expectations other people place on us or like how people see us or driven to, oh, I want to be successful. And this means I want to look this way to other people, even though that image is bringing that person into debt or, you know, bringing them out of alignment with their values or exhausting them, burning them out um, and, and not living in that authenticity or even could be something that's contributing to how they connect with others, how they connect with the world and also can disrupt our relationships too. Absolutely. Yeah. Status is similar to success. You know, status is something that is important to everyone, but we all measure it differently. Status in prison is much different than status, you know, in the boardroom or status on the uh, basketball court or on the playground these things are measured in so many different ways, but it's, they're all important to us. And like my son, who's five, you know, to him, you know, he has more status than the four-year-olds do, you know, but he's still focused on that in some way. And, you know, for some people, you know, having a BMW is that symbol of status that puts them above, you know, the person next to them, who's got a Toyota um, for other people they see somebody with the BMW and it reduces the status in their head of that person, you know, because they see them as superficial or, and it's such a fluid thing. Success is that way too. So we have to be careful not to just take these, these kind of preconceived ideas of what success or status is and think through them for ourselves and make them our own. And like you said, uh, be the artist of, of, of your own reality in that sense, that's, uh, you know, important in, in business as well to kind of not try to play that and keeping up with the Joneses kind of game and not hyper-focusing on what your competition is doing. I mean, it's good to be aware of it, but you don't want to be constantly measuring yourself against the others. That's, that's, uh, not a good way to spend your energy, you know, because your success is in context of where you are in your journey and your path. It has nothing to do with where somebody else is. And that comparison can consume us to the point where we stop making moves in our own life. Exactly. I noticed whenever I started comparing myself out to others, you know, it would, it would impact my confidence. It would impact like a lot of my decision making, like it would cloud my judgment. So I, I yeah. realized when I started doing that, I was like, wow, this is a really toxic practice. That's actually preventing me from growing in the direction that I want to grow, which is upward rather than kind of like backwards into hiding into the corner of my yeah. mind. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is a huge limiting factor for a lot of people. And one of the reasons they might not ever start because they're saying, well, I'll never be as good as as that person or that company on, you know, it seems so hard when you're starting out to um, measure up, but, you know, if, if you just focus on, you know, like you said, your own growth and your own path of progress, then you won't be paralyzed by, you know, all that, that stuff. For anyone who's also wondering a little bit about kind of your work with wedding officiants and, 
kind of the work that you do, uh, what's your favorite part of being an officiant? My absolutely favorite, favorite part is actually like being there in the moment with the couple and just feeling that kind of emotionally charged energy and being a, being part of something that I know is going to be memorable for them. And, and knowing that I'm, I'm helping to make this transition for them, um, enjoyable and safe and, you know, kind of allowing this, you know, for this space, for that, this all to happen. And then, you know, after the ceremony, you can just usually see like a layer of stress gone from the couple because, you know, that, that kind of heightened moment is, is over and they start to really kind of settle into the idea of, of starting the party, you know, and the reception and all that, and just seeing them and being part of that, that joyful moment is amazing. And I usually drive home you know, kind of with like a euphoric feeling and just feeling really charged and energized. And it, it really like, it makes me just feel alive to be able to do that. So the, the business side of it has its own rewards, but that's really the absolute, you know, my absolute favorite part of the whole thing. For many of us who think about like, again, you're saying the ceremony, people feel like a lot of nervous energy. I feel like you're also just a facilitator of people and space and kind of that grounding mm-hmm. rock for the entire room or the entire, it might be outside too. So the entire yeah, space. Yeah. But it's, um, it is still a, a, yeah, a designated space, so to speak. And in um, those moments with like calming people down or connecting with them, cause you're going to, you're connecting with people in a lot of different emotional states. Um, how mm-hmm. do you kind of like lead that connection and and how do you teach your officiants that also represent you in these different venues? Well, definitely um, using some of those same metaphors of being like, you're an anchor for them. You've, you've got to be the one that kind of sets the tone. They may seem nervous, um, even like agitated. There's a lot of different emotions that are going, going on. They're not always, you know, feeling just euphoric. There's a lot of anxiety with the whole thing because it's a major transition in their life. And any major transition, regardless of whether it's, it's, you know, even when it is a positive one, it there's anxiety associated with it. If you think about like leaving home for the first time, you know, going to college or getting your first apartment or getting your first big job or something, those are all exciting things, but they still, there's anxiety there, right? It's nerve wracking making these transitions and, and marriage is no different. And so you always have to be the one that's setting that tone and exuding that calm, assertive energy so that they are going, going to pick up on that. It's never, you know, and sometimes it might even seem like the couple is upset with the officiant or something just because that's the energy that's happening, but it's not, that's not the case. You know, it's that they are, they're looking, they're reaching out for someone to kind of help them to find that, that grounding, you know, reassurance to the couple. If you can get people to laugh um, and you can find ways to connect that involve humor, then uh, there's no better way to connect with somebody that than that. And people appreciate it. It puts, it puts people at ease. So that's, that's what I've learned works over the years. And I love the work that you do with premarital kind of that your program that you have, you have a course mm-hmm. that for anyone who might not be able to work with you in the, the wedding efficient capacity, cause they might be in a different state. However, you can also go to his website and check out this premarital course. Cause I think that also contributes a lot to the nerves one might feel on the day. If you haven't had those kinds of important questions, or it really does lay the foundation before the actual wedding or the actual party. Cause it's setting the foundation for the marriage. What's really <laughs> the true. Yeah. Absolutely. That's your point of, of everything. So can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, when, when I first started my business, it was really important to me to help couples not only get married, but help them stay married. Um, that's actually, that's, that's part of my purpose is that uh, I, I really want people to have successful marriages. I don't want to just hitch them and then say goodbye. You know, I, I want to do everything I can to help them to have a fulfilling, gratifying relationship with their partner. Um, so my, the program I have now is, is 
I call it an alternative to traditional premarital counseling. It, you know, it's not where we sit down and I say, well, how does that make you feel? And uh, there's not this act of facilitating. It's basically just um, a series of conversation starters that they go through themselves designed to help them kind of grapple with some of the most common areas that tend to cause divorce. Um, and those areas are money, kids, in-laws, and core beliefs, whether it's spiritual, religious, philosophical, political those are the areas that studies have shown uh, if there are major disagreements with how you handle your money, you know, are you going to blend everything together and everything, you know, you know, this, this is our money, or are you going to have separate stuff? Is one of you, you know, do you have debt? Is one of you in a lot of debt and the other one's not? Do you know how much debt each other has? Um, what are your just attitudes towards money do you feel like you've never had enough or do you feel like you've always had an abundance? You know, um, you know, there's a lot of issues around money. I mean, obviously kids, you know, if you want them or not, how many, if there's, if one of you wants them hundred percent, I got to have kids. And the other one's like, nah, that's not really my thing. Then, you know, you might want to reconsider whether you're ultimately compatible in, in a marriage relationship. In-laws, you know, can be a, a big source of stress in terms of like the expectations, you know, how much do you, do you expect your, your parents to be involved in your lives and your marriage? Um, and how much do you expect your, your partner's parents to be involved? How well do you get along with them? And what, what's the nature of that relationship? Your core beliefs, obviously, you know, if, if one of you is super religious and the other one's an atheist that could cause some issues, not to say that that has never worked, but you have to, if, if it's going to work, you got to figure out how you got to figure out how these things can be compatible. So it's not a matter of agreeing on everything, but addressing the issues, finding out whether or not it, that your disagreements can be compatible with each other and talking through all these things so that there are no surprises. And like you said, Julie, it's, it gives them more confidence on the day of when they've gone through that. There's not these, these big question marks about things. And a lot of couples talk about this stuff naturally. A, a lot of couples um, are comfortable with that, but some couples, these things just don't come up. And so they don't talk about them. My program gives you just different prompts, different questions that can open these things up so that you're not missing anything. And you can feel like it's an appropriate space to kind of bring up these things. It, it might feel awkward just to, out of the blue to bring up some of these questions. But if you have this structured to do it within, then it's, I think it's a lot more comforting for people. I offer this program to all my, all the couples we work with for free. I don't force them to do it. Again, some couples do it on their own. Some couples do other forms of premarital counseling. I just encourage them to do something and to put some effort into making sure their marriage, the foundation is going to be strong. I feel like if you force somebody to do it, it's kind of like forcing them to go to the gym and work out. Like how, how hard are they going to work out if they're forced to be there doing it? You know, you're, you're, the results that you get are pretty closely tied to how much you want to be there. That's not something that I feel comfortable forcing on people. You kind of have to, you can lead a horse to water, but it's unrealistic to expect everyone to put that effort into, which is unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. It's something that to me is part of why I started this business was I wanted to, to not just marry people, but to provide those tools and that guidance to help the relationship be, be super strong because, you know, divorce is not an uncommon thing. And sometimes I think it can be easily avoided if, you just have the right tools. For sure. And I want to emphasize to anyone who's like, oh, well, I'm single. How does this matter to me? This course, I mean, it's premarital. So if you're not married, and even if you are married, it's, it's something <laughs> you true. can use too. But if you're single and you're not married, technically it's it's premarital. Um, and most of us grow up and we're not taught to have like how to have healthy communications, how to like how to relationship in general. Right. Um, right. how to have these conversations. And if you're single or you're dating and maybe you don't even know, like, what questions do I ask someone while I'm dating them to kind of 
find out what their values are. This is a great template. I mean, I have mm-hmm. gone through it um, and it's available for purchase on his website. And honestly, I recommend it to so many people because I'm obsessed with it, honestly. Um, That's great. And, and it's something that you can just learn. And even if it's, you know, asking one question at a time with your partner. So it's not like, all right, let's sit down and do this entire course. You can look at it and kind of start just asking those questions to bring those conversations up. And then if you are single and you really want to, you know, find your partner or continue the dating process, it can help you recognize, you know, what do I want? What do I, do I want kids or not? You know, what are my core values? Like, what are my perspective, my perceptions on this? Like what, what are my answers to these questions? And when we understand those answers first, um, it's going to be much easier to communicate them to somebody else. So I think it's great for a personal kind of self-discovery process, as well as, you know, great for couples in any stage of their relationship. Right. Well, thanks. That's a great endorsement. I want to say too, that, you know, what I've done is I've, I've tried to distill some of the most important questions down into the, the most essential ones and kind of curate what I feel are the best questions from all the research I've done. I mean, I've read just about every you know, book on relationships and over the years have encountered so, so much information and research on this topic that it's kind of overwhelming. It can be kind of overwhelming. And a lot of the programs that I looked into um, are just a little bit too much. And so I, I tried to really just kind of cut all the non-essential stuff out. I mean, there, there's so much more that you can, that you can do than what I've provided, but I've, I really wanted, because, you know, we talked about, we, we have short attention spans and we want instant results and all that. So I didn't want to overwhelm people with too much stuff. I wanted to break it down into the most essential core questions that are important. Once these, these questions are opened up, it becomes easier down the road to access this type of conversation, right? Once you've gotten practice talking with your partner about these things, then it's not so scary to broach the subject later on down the road when something actually might be an issue. Um, So it's, it's kind of serves that purpose as well. And knowing Uh that, you know, that any of those questions you might have, like whether you're single or in a relationship and maybe you both look at a question. You're like, I actually don't know the answer to this. Like, for example, mm-hmm. you were mentioning with money and money management for couples. And it's like, wow, like we actually don't really know. That's that opportunity to be right. like, Hey, you know, this is something that we're not sure about. Maybe let's, let's look for some other resources and let's just kind of start this discovery process to kind of find what works best for us or, or what would feel comfortable for us. So it's a really good way to also gauge where you are in what you'd love to do and what you'd love to create in your marriage and your relationships within your own life. And actually my boyfriend and I are actually reading a book called uh, smart couples finish rich right now. And it's by David Bach. And that's, I don't know if anyone wants to check that out. We're really enjoying it. Uh, but just like recognizing oh. too, it's like, Oh, if I don't know the answers to this, like that's where you can kind of start doing a deeper dive on that and looking mm-hmm. for resources or just using it in general as something it's like so simple and it's, it's not overwhelming. So I really appreciated how you structured everything. Great. That's, that's great to hear. I appreciate it. I, my wife and I with money stuff, um, we started listening to Dave, Dave Ramsey, which um, helped us to get on the same page as far as how we think about money and how we're going to manage our money. And it's, it's so helpful sometimes just to have some type of structure to, to, you know, at least bounce your own ideas off of and to react to and to help, help the conversation get going. So that's, that's great to hear. My boyfriend loves, um, he loves Dave Ramsey too. And that's someone we also like follow, follow his work. Um, but for anyone's like, Oh, like, what was that book again? Or like Dave Ramsey, I'm going to put all of that in as well as the page to access Philip's course in the description. So you can access that. You can access his website for anyone who's in the States that he works in looking for a wedding officiant. I like, I cannot like rave enough about his company and just everything. So, um, I just, I just want to put that that out there. Yeah. And as far as from like anything else that was there anything else that you'd love to share with our listeners today that we didn't cover or anything else that's kind of like on your heart? If I just had one piece of advice for somebody that's, that's having trouble kind of getting started is just 
just jump in there, but you don't have to jump in with both feet. Just start doing stuff and, um, and, and don't stop doing stuff and don't get overwhelmed. And uh, you'll be amazed at where you'll be uh, down the road. And you'll probably wish you had started sooner at that point. It's worth the journey. And it's kind of like if you're doing, say, like a a little like race, um, taking one baby step at a time is going to actually like reach you to your end goal. But if you never take that step or never take any steps and all you're thinking about is taking steps, right? you're, you're not going to move at all. So it's like having some incremental momentum, no matter how small it seems, like it is moving you forward and it is going to help you start that process and like reach your goals towards anything in life. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for your energy and presence today. I know you are super busy with all the things that you do. Um, and I'm truly grateful for all of the knowledge that you have and sharing that with our listeners. Cause again, you just bring so much value to the world and in your work and also your experience is just, it's priceless. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I, I truly appreciate that. And I'm honored that you asked me to come on and, and it's, it's fun to, to kind of go through and, kind of review my own story and journey and also know that I could maybe be helping someone else on there. So I can't thank you enough, Julie. Right. For all of you listening, thank you for your time and energy. And I'll be catching you next week here on the Reach New Heights podcast. From my heart to yours, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I love creating it. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram at J-U-L-Householder or my website, juliehouseholder.com. I love hearing how you've integrated these episodes into your life. And if you feel called, please leave a review on iTunes so we can help others reach new heights. Mm-hmm.